mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. 
Also, just a quick note that submissions for the Zibby Awards are open and will close on September 15th. Go to zibbyowens.com and you will find the Zibby Awards open submissions where we celebrate all the under-celebrated parts of a book, like the best spine, the best author's note, the best table of contents. And authors can nominate their own best publicists, best editors, and so on. There will be an in-person award ceremony in October in New York. You will not want to miss it. Go to zibbyowens.com. Garth Stein is the author of The Art of Racing in the Rain and also The Cloven. Garth is the internationally best-selling author of the contemporary classic, The Art of Racing in the Rain, which became a major motion picture starring Kevin Costner, Milo Ventimiglia, and Amanda Seyfried, and that was released in the summer of 2019. The Art of Racing in the Rain has sold more than 6 million copies worldwide, been translated into 38 languages, and spent more than three years on the New York Times bestseller list. The novel inspired a young reader edition, as well as four children's picture books. He is the author of three other novels, which we talk about in the episode, and he says nobody ever read them, but whatever, A Sudden Light, How Evan Broke His Head and Other Secrets, and Raven Stole the Moon. He's the co-founder of Seattle Seven Writers and the chair of the Author Leadership Circle of Book Industry Charitable Foundation, which goes by Bink, which we talked about also. Garth's first graphic novel, The Cloven Book One, in collaboration with illustrator Matthew Southworth, was released by Fantagraphics in July 2020, and Book Two will be launched at San Diego's Comic-Con in July of 2023. We had a blast talking, and I will be taking Garth up on his suggestion of, or my suggestion, rather, of having him write for Zibby Books. We'll see if we can make that happen. Welcome, Garth. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the art of racing in the rain and your career and just all the good stuff. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It was so great meeting you in Seattle in person. That was such a highlight. So thank you to Jen Risco from Shelf Awareness for introducing us and everything. That was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. It hasn't rained here since you were here. So that's all really? good Really? Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I want to hear about so many things. I want to talk about your book, but also how you started, what was it called? The Seattle Eight or what was it called? The <laughs> Seattle Seven Writers. Seattle Seven yeah. Writers and how you really started this whole Seattle lit scene and everything and how it's grown. But let's back up for two seconds and how you became an author in the first place and all of that. And the story that you told me about the difficulty you had in selling The Art of Racing in the Rain, which of course went on to become like a massive bestseller. Uh, yeah, The Art of Racing in the Rain uh, took off. It was, it was actually my third book, believe it or not. I wrote two books previously that that nobody paid any attention to. And interestingly, <laughs> when I when I was listening to some of your podcasts, I was scrolling through and and one of on my first book, I had four editors talk about being an orphan. It was a disaster. Oh, and no. my fourth editor on that book was Greer Kessel Hendricks. Oh no way. You oh, had gosh. on now yeah, she's I love like a Greer. writer. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So it was kind of cool that uh, that, that I, I know people from back in the day. But uh, but yeah, I used to make documentary films. That's what happened. Because I, I grew up in Seattle and then I went to New York to go to school. And then I started making documentary films. And I, I love I love it. I love that the process and I love doing it. But it was all about raising money, you know, back in the pre-digital age, you know. And, and then I didn't have uh, – I, I was making a film about these two homeless rap musicians in Brooklyn. And I ran out – my grant ran out. And I said, geez, now i got to stop everything and go raise more money. And so I said, well, let me keep doing something creative while I'm doing that. And so that's when I started writing 
what I thought was going to be a short story or maybe a treatment for a film. And it turned out to be my first novel, Raven Stole the Moon. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is, this feels right. You know, there's sometimes when you're doing something and you're like, oh, I resonate in a different way uh, when I'm doing this. And so uh, that's when I turned to writing full time. And, and it wasn't until my third book then that, that, that people, everyone else thought I was a writer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how did you decide to write from the point of view of a dog? And then how did, tell me, tell us, tell me the story again about yeah. how hard it was to sell that idea. Yeah. The, it didn't, it didn't occur to me that, that one was not allowed to use non-human narrators in a book because, you know, I grew up like you did reading Charlotte's web and stuff like that. I mean, you can't tell anybody Charlotte's web is not a legitimate book because there's not a human narrator. So I had this idea. I was racing sports cars here in Seattle. I had moved back to Seattle after a certain time and I was racing cars and had a family and had a dog and had everything. And, and I was like, what a great setup for a, for a setting for a story would be the race, a dog trying to interpret like this because dogs love cars as we all know. And, and then I saw this documentary film uh, made in Mongolia that was about the belief among the nomadic people in Mongolia that the next incarnation for their dog will be as a person. And I was like, oh, hold the door here. Because if you've got a dog who really wants, aspires to be a person in his next lifetime, and so studies all of human interactions to glean clues about how to be a good person, well, that's a great character, right? So suddenly Enzo, the dog, was born, and I just started writing it, and I, 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 it came very quickly to me, oddly. Usually I struggle. Four months, I wrote the first draft, and I sent it off to my agent in New York, and he said, this is a disaster. You're ruining your career. Why are you doing this? Uh, go write me something I can sell, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I didn't know exactly what to do, so these two words popped into my head, and I said, you're fired. <laughs> And I, I didn't know what to do. I went home and I sheepishly told my wife, I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, you're going to find a new agent. That's what you're going to do. So I sent it out to agent after agent. And they all said the exact same thing. They're like, well, we like the writing and we like the story, but it's narrated by a dog. And we don't know how to sell a book like that. And I was finally at, uh, at my wit's end. And I was at a, also at a fundraiser for King County Library Systems here in Seattle. And I was talking to another writer and I was telling him of all my problems. I'm like, I've got this book and I think it's really good, but it's narrated by a dog and no one will touch it. And he looked up and he said, well, you should talk to my agent. He sold my book and it's narrated by a crow. <laughs> so I just said, well, give me his name. Right. And I got his details and sent him off my pages. And uh, two days later, he called me up, my, my great lovely agent, Jeff Kleinman. And he said, I love this book. You have to let me represent it. And he was right. And uh, he got it into the right hands of people. I ended up with with Harper at Harper Collins, the Harper imprint. And uh, they did a great job with it. And it went on to be, you know, to live for three years on the New York Times bestseller list, thus proving that people will read a book narrated by a dog. So oh my gosh. And then yeah. and now it's also a movie and everything. I mean, yeah. And were you involved were you involved with that piece of it or no? No, I will not really. I mean, they didn't want me around. They really prefer to not have the the writer around, I think, because they have to make changes and they have to do things. And, the, you know, the author of the book is like, but on page 37, it says it's a yellow house. And so they're like, oh, now we have to paint the house yellow. You know, it's just like, 
they need to be kind of, especially with a book that was going to be, I knew was going to be difficult to kind of translate into, into a movie because it's narrated by a dog, right? Your dogs are, you know, movie directors famously say never direct anything with a dog or a kid in it because they're impossible to direct. So, you know, I was a little concerned, but Patrick Dempsey picked it up and he set it up at Universal and it sat in, in, in whatever they limbo for 10 years. And, and then finally I got a phone call from a director in England saying, I'm going to be directing your film. And I was like, get out of here. <laughs> so it was fun because they shot most of it up in Vancouver, which is right near me. And they shot enough in Seattle to show, show the Space Needle, you know, and I got to take my kids and my, my mother, my 90 year old mother, I took her up to Vancouver and we we walked around on the set and it was amazing. It was a racetrack thing they had set up and my mother turned to me and she's like, all these people, I'm never going to complain about the price of a movie again. <laughs> so, wow. so it was a lot of fun. The process was a lot of fun. You know, they had to make their changes uh, to the story, which is fine. They, you know, look, they, they can't change the book, right? The book is the book. And my big fantasy came true, which is, I said, one day it would be so cool to like get on a, on an airplane and have to fly someplace and on the seat back video screen there's like the art of racing in the rain and it's true it came true i was like watching it on a movie on an airplane and i was like this is surreal but it was a lot of fun wow so cool i hope somebody like took a picture of you in the seat watching the movie yes dude i had so much fun in the red carpet <laughs> but that stuff is intoxicating you know i went down to la for that and was hanging out with movie stars and all i was talking to kevin costner and amanda seyfried and all that and it was really cool and then I realized that, man, if you live your life like that full time, it's a distorted world. You know, everywhere you go, there's someone, they had a groomer following me around, like powdering <laughs> my cheeks and making sure my eyebrows weren't, you know, sticking up or something. It, it, I was like, this is really cool for a week. Okay. Then I want to go back to, you know, turn that, whatever you call it in back into a pumpkin. I, I, I lead the pumpkin life here in Seattle. So. So when you were writing the book, there was a lot about being a dog that like I didn't even know, right? There is the scene where Enzo gets left alone for three days and mm. you talk about how the you know dogs can live without food and this is how they reserve their energy and this is what they need and this is like, this is why and all of that. Like, did you just know all that stuff? Like, because I'm a dog owner, I don't know all the details of dog life. Or did you research? Or like, how did you know no. so much? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I pick up stuff. That part of what I do, you know, my kids make fun of me. The dad, like, I have an answer for everything. Even if I don't have an answer, I can always come up with an answer that is very convincing. So most of the stuff I found, I was really dealing with Enzo, the character, that's why I never thought it was a problem to have a dog as a narrator because I didn't see him as a dog. I saw mm -hmm. him as a narrator, as a character in the story. Yeah. And so, in channeling my character, I he said things. Now I, I don't even know if they're true. He <laughs> says, "Well, you know, one of the things dogs have is that they can go for several days without food because you, you know maybe they don't you're out hunting in the woods and they don't run into any prey for a while." It made sense to me. And he says. You know, people, of course, in exchange for their big brains and their opposable thumbs are also susceptible to salmonella, mm -hmm. whereas dogs aren't, And which is, that is true. I learned that from my vet. So, you know, there are little things that I try and, and put in there, but mostly it was like kind of many of the things are not actually true. Like Enzo is convinced that dogs are, re are uh, the evolutionary 
rollout of not of monkeys, but of dogs. People yep. are evolved from dogs, not right. from monkeys. Yep. So he has a whole, uh, this whole kind of theology that he sketches out in the book as he's trying to understand his role in the world and his role in, in, in humanity or, or as a prospective uh, human. So. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I figured that was not necessarily true. <laughs> Or provable, but you I never know. You never know. I mean, you know, you, you never know. But there is also, I mean, you hear this all the time that dogs can sense illness more than people, yeah. right? They can often yes. ferret out like a cancer that's brewing, or they they know, but how do they say it? And I think that's one of the things about Enzo, where he's like, "Well, I knew what was wrong with her. Like, I yeah. I knew what was going on." Well, that 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 is real. Now, I didn't do extensive research, but when I was making doc. My sister grew up with a very severe form of epilepsy, and it, I made a documentary about it back when I was making documentary films because she had brain surgery back in 1993. And it was a film that was put on PBS and, and the whole deal. It was, it was pretty successful. It was following the family around for this. And I learned in the process of making that film that, in fact, there are dogs who are trained to smell the, the aura of an epileptic seizure. Mm-hmm. Most seizures, not all, but most seizures, when the when the brain chemistry starts to go, it changes the whole everything. And so a dog can actually sense it before the person can. So the dog will then, an epilepsy dog will then take the person, her, his person, and and into the where other people are and where there's some, you know, okay, there's something going on. Alert the person that you know you're about to have a seizure, so you might want to sit down and find yourself someplace safe to be. So that then I looked into more research of it. And sure enough, they there's dogs who can smell skin cancer, lung cancer. They can smell your breath. I mean, dogs, their, their sense of smell is actually crazy, crazy accurate and specific. So if we could only talk to them and mm-hmm. reason with them a little bit more clearly, because <laughs> sometimes your dog just wants to chase the tennis ball. Yeah. It's like, no, come on, you got to get to work smelling people. My dog is the only dog I think that does not like to chase anything or play with any toy or whatever. She just like sits. she just like sits under my desk and you throw her a ball. And she's like, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, right. You get it, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Wait, and talk about the Seattle Seven and how you sort of founded this whole movement there. Yeah, Seattle Seven Riders was it started as seven of us, and one of us was a former member of the Weather Underground. Thus, we took the name the Seattle Seven because of the real Seattle Seven, which is referred to in the Big Lebowski as, well, it was supposed to be the Seattle Eight. That's why I thought it was funny that you said that. Yeah. In the Big Lebowski, he's like, well, yeah, they're actually the Seattle Eight, but they only caught seven of us. You know, that that kind of funny thing. It started out as seven writers who would get together and we said wine and wine. So we'd get together to complain about the business <laughs> and drink wine. And because we found that we couldn't really do these kinds of complainings around civilians, you know, I don't like my agent, my, my marketing budget isn't big enough, you know, this, I don't like the font they used for my last book. Like these are things that only people who are in the nitty gritty of the business would deign to complain about. So we kind of had a safe space. And then the art of racing in the rain hit, right? And I was going everywhere and I was doing all sorts of events. And I started doing benefit events where I would go and like to Changing Hands Bookstore, for instance, in Arizona. And they would do an event for me, not in the store, but in a shopping center. And then they would donate proceeds of the sales to an animal welfare group. And I was like, that's actually win, win, win. Everybody's happy about that, right? 
So I brought it back and we started doing events as seven of us. And it, we ended up growing to be about 80 or nine. I think we we're 83 in the, at the max, uh, 83 local writers in the Northwest. One of our favorite things was back in 2011, we did an event. I, I'm pretty proud of this. It's my idea um, called The Novel Live. And we wrote, 36 writers wrote a novel live in six days. It taking two hour stints at the typewriter and we were simulcasting it on, on the internet and people could like chat in and we would auction off character names and stuff like that. So you could name you know your favorite uncle, one of the characters after your uncle or something. And we, it was all a, a fundraiser for, for literacy, but it was a lot of fun to get writers kind of like out of their comfort zone, put them on a stage, put a video camera in their face. And we would simulcast the computer would be projected on the screen so no. you could as they wrote. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's like my worst nightmare. I can't. It was so much fun. It was great. I would be, I don't know that I could, I don't think I could do it. I mean, I'd have to. We had a screen that you could put up if you wanted to like feel like you were in private. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Was it any good at the end? No, but it it was published. (laughs) It It was was published. Yeah. Hotel Angeline is the title that it came out as. And, you know, we still get royalty checks. I have one right here. It still sells and we donate 100% of the profits go to literacy. So I, I have to turn this around. And I'm, what I'm going to do, since Seattle 7 dissolved after 10 years of doing all this great work, we, we, we kind of separated and said, let's go do other things. And one of the things that I went to do was to become the author, the chair of the author leadership circle of Bank, which yeah. I know you're a big supporter of, Zibby. So yeah, yeah. Bank Foundation supports booksellers and bookstores who need uh, like emergency funding. Because of natural disaster, for instance, the flooding that is going on in this, it started because of Hurricane Katrina. But if you think of all the fires in California, the floods in the Southeast and all the things that can go wrong, bookstores can come to a bank and they can say, I I need like two grand just to like keep my lights on. And then we can turn that grant around in 48 hours and make sure that these bookstores remain part of our kind of literary ecosystem. So, you know, that's one of the things. So this money that we made from Hotel Angeline goes straight to bank and then bank can do great things with that. So I'm a big supporter of... And it's not just the store, it's the, it's the booksellers and their lives too. If they have some personal crisis or whatever. Trust me, I have to have a tooth. I don't know. Am I supposed to do a root canal or an extraction? People say, don't do root canals. I'm so confused. But can you, you got to pay for that. Someone's got to pay yeah. for that. And, you know, if you're working two jobs and you, your car breaks down and you got you get your kid to school and all that, it's like, it's a problem. You may lose both jobs, you know? Yep. So we try and like give them some money so that they can get their car back on the road and not have to, we, we can't lose booksellers. I mean, it's such a delicate system. There's, it's not a high profit world. And so yep. we... As writers, we need to also support. Sometimes writers like to go cave, you know, dwelling. You know, we like to go into the cave and pull the rock over and say, "I see nothing, I hear nothing." You know, we're we're Sergeant Schmidt or whatever from Hogan's Heroes. We have to push the rock away and come out and interact with with booksellers, with librarians, with our readers, with our fans. You know, that's part of our obligation is to to you know cultivate the cultivate the vegetables so have, have you seen this new show called the offer about paul reddy who founded Hogan's oh my god it's awesome that's probably why it was in my head oh my god i can't stop thinking about it i cannot stop it's so good it's amazing i, I love the period cars and all yeah. that stuff and it's they did such a good job the dude who plays al pacino it's oh freaky. my god it's freaky <laughs> i am obsessed i i think i'm gonna watch the whole thing again and it's crazy it takes so much time it's so good 
Anyway. But, you know, there are two kinds of people in the world, Sibi. There are the people who believe The Godfather is one of the three best films ever made, and there are those who don't. And I'm glad that you're one of us. So yeah, The Godfather um, is awesome. Well, now I think <laughs> The Offer is one of the best things ever made. The, the the movie about the movie. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. But when you said Hogan's Heroes, I'm like, oh my gosh, Paul Ruddy, Paul Ruddy. <laughs> yeah, amazing. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Well, I do think Bink is really important. And during the pandemic in particular, I just, you know, it was just like, what are the booksellers going to do? Like, what's everybody going to do? So I'm actually going to look at two spaces this afternoon for bookstores. Get out. You want to open a bookstore. Yeah. It's been like a lifelong dream. So I'm finally like, I don't know if I'm totally ready, but I'm I'm going to do, I'm doing, I'm going today. So hopefully uh, we'll see. I don't know. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, the advice they give people who want to get into race car driving is if you want to make a million dollars, start with two. <laughs> so I think it's the same with the book selling world. So I'm sure you'll be fabulous at it, Zimmy, because you know, you have such a keen eye, but it's not, it's it's a tough world, man. And good luck. But the, the the people are amazing. I love going to conferences of you know, the bookstores all get together and have their 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 conferences, their regional meetings and and the American Bookseller Association. And they the people are so great. I wish I could have a bookstore, but I'm I'm supposed to be writing books. <laughs> so what are you working on now? I'm working on a couple of things. I've got book two of my graphic novel series is coming out. We're going to launch that in July of 23. So we're we're finishing up the artwork. It's a long process. I can write a script way quicker than my illustrator can illustrate it. But, but it's great. It's called The Cloven. And it's about genetically modified goat people who live live among us, but they hide right in plain sight. They live with the among the homeless population where where people don't want to look. So they say, oh, I don't see that. I don't see those hoofs. I don't see those hoofs. And so the cloven is this adventures of one of one of one of these experiments uh, gone awry. And uh, it's sort of a I mean it's black comedy satirical and the second book is coming out next summer. We're launching at Comic Con. And uh, and then I'm working on uh, two novels Alternately, I hate doing that, but one hasn't come up and grabbed me 
said, I need you full time yet, but it's probably going to happen. I'm sensing it's going to happen with one of them. One of them is about two 87 year old ladies who become new best friends based kind of on my the the adventures of my mother who wanders around with her best friend uh, getting into mischief and you know drinking too much wine at lunch and stuff like that which i think is hysterical and then the other is um kind of a speculative fiction about what this world is headed toward you know with artificial intelligence and the, well it grapples with this you know the soul and consciousness and and what it means to be a person and you know when we start looking at these these photos that we're seeing from outer space of like Jupiter and stuff. Mm -hmm. Just like amazing to think that we are a little teeny itty bitty speck of dust, you know, among this vastness of this universe. And to think that we know all the answers about how things work is just egregiously full of hubris, I think, you know, I mean, (laughs) we don't know anything. Yeah. We're, we're, we're lucky we know what we know and that we should be happy with that, but we should always be striving to understand like sort of the bigger context, which is, which is vast. So I'm grappling with those kinds of ideas in my new book. Nice and light, you know, I, I know, I know, I know my agent's like, can't you just write a book narrated by a cat? No, <laughs> I love the idea of the 87 year old woman. I think there is a huge void and I'm trying to address this at Zibby Books. We have some books focusing on older characters and you know, not that I could ever convince you, but if you wanted to send books, Zibby books, we would be excited. Um, Zibby book, I love it. I absolutely. Are you kidding yeah. me? No, my God. I well, you're, be... You've gone insane. You're like a gigantic brand of, of how did you, how do you have time to do all this stuff? You got your know, podcast, was, you've got your bookstores just, coming up, you got a publishing house. I was on my team up? call this morning and I'm like, okay, I've got another idea, you know, cause we don't have enough to do, you know, let's do yeah, this. Right. Let's do that. I know. I don't know. It, it all like is making sense to me and coming together is like of a piece of this like literary lifestyle brand. So it's all just different elements. So it's all making sense to me in my head, but well, we'll God see. bless you for doing it because I mean, it's so important, you know, because, you know, look, I, I think that, re- you know, and I, I read your, your memoir, which I thought was fantastic, oh, this, thank by you. the way. My gosh, I think everybody should so... rush out and buy a copy because it's really, really good. Thank you. But, you know, dealing with this, it's it's really important that we, that literature is a part of our lives as human beings because it it, it makes us you know, feel a greater sense of empathy. Yes. You know, we have to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and say, geez, what would I do in this situation, yes. you know? And then by doing so, we learn that we all may have different opinions and different backgrounds and all that kind of stuff, but we, I mean, as goofy as this sounds, we all share, you know, the, this connection, this human yes. connection of, and the desire for, you know, meeting, talking, communicating of love, of sharing all of these things enhance our empathy and they make us better as a society. And so we need to have a place, someone like you to be our champion of, you know, the literary world. So thank you for the the great deeds that you are doing. Oh, well, I'm so honored you read my book. Thank you. And thank you for those kind words. I know, I, I think that the connection that books make is, is unlike anything else. Like, you know, you and I talking about both watching The Offer, like that's awesome, right? But all these people are reading books, right? It's like, it's the same thing. It's like 10 hours of time that we all spend. But then like, what do you do with that? Like, I want to talk to people that read that book. Like, I want to talk to people that read that show. And I was just saying like, I this total stranger had a book event for me the other day. And I was like, sure, why not? Like, I'm up for anything, you know? And, and then at the end of my post, I was like, you know, nobody's a stranger who has read the same book. You know what I mean? Like once we've all gone through this collective experience together, like there's just something that we have to harness. And I think we have to, like, it's so unique. And I think we're competing with 
people, younger people, if you will, who like want something in three seconds. And like, we have to resell the idea of a book. Like it doesn't sound good. Like spend 10 hours and sit still. Don't do anything else and, and use your brain only. It's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) It is absolutely. And you're absolutely right. It is hard to, the competition is stiff, you know, with this, like Twitter has no offense, but kind of destroyed our ability to concentrate. You know why is that? It's not offensive to me. I, I you know. no, I just don't want to be struck by the bolt of Elon Musk's lightning or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, you know? okay. <laughs> he he can do big powerful things. I'm sure if I say anything bad, although I don't, he doesn't like Twitter anymore, so this is not a big deal. But you know, th- th- it is a, attention span is a big issue for sure. And you know, this idea. Look, we're we're moving. Oh, I hate that, but I'm, I've been assigned to paint rooms and so forth. And so I've been listening to the audiobook of War and Peace, wow. which I never read. And it's 55 hours of audiobook. Oh my gosh. And I'm 30 some hours into it. And it's a great book. I mean, it's great. I mean, no wonder it's considered a great book because it is. Mm-hmm. And so here I am listening to it and painting and I'm thinking, this is perfect, right? I'm, I, I'm, I'm just, and I was like, why do I have to justify my time why do i have to double i i mean i don't mind doing it but in the old days you could actually just sit down and read the book yep. and not do anything else yeah here i am well i can i can kind of justify reading the book because i'm doing something else while you know constructive yep and i think that's that's unfair to literature but it's part of how our world is going you know that we have to like if you aren't doing three things at once uh you're not really getting enough done and yeah. mm, we should be able to indulge in literature and and hold that space. And I think that again, that's you know, moms don't have time to read. You're pointing up this exact problem. You know, we have to hold the space to be human. Yes. Right. And yes. and without that, you know, it's going to be a dark, dark world that we're heading into. I totally agree. All the things we don't make time for—that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. But and everything gets pushed on the back burner, and before you know it, it's all over. So I'll leave you with that lovely thought. <laughs> That's so depressing. <laughs> You're welcome. Go back and go back and edit that and speak it in a more positive way. Okay. <laughs> and then it's over. And now it's over. Sorry. No, but like, look, life is short. We all make choices every single day. All we have is today. And we make the choices of how we're going to spend our time. And you're going to spend your time painting and listening to War and Peace. That's like, such a cool image, by the way. Oh my gosh. Like, that's just so cool. It's like the most badass literary visual I could think of. Like you with your tattoos, like painting in your beard <laughs> with like the overlay. It's like a movie. It's like, anyway, that's awesome. But, you know, or you choose to spend another three hours doing whatever stupid stuff that adds up to nothing. I don't know. We all, we all get to make our choices. And I think without books and this ability to like literally read each other's minds, mm-hmm. You, you lose out like hugely, mm-hmm. hugely. Anyway, but I don't need to tell you this because you're on the same page. So. I'm on the same page. Anyway. All right. Well, nothing like a little you know, West well, we've squ- meaning of life we've, conversation to nine in the I morning. So. <laughs> we've squandered our half hour talking about the meaning of life. What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh anyway well thanks for coming on mom's not a time to read books i really appreciate it <laughs>
Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And look, I, I want to come on for uh, The Cloven when it comes out and uh, yes, my yes. old lady book comes out. I have a title. I'm not telling it. But when it comes out uh, and and maybe you and I will talk about it being a Zimmy Books production. I'm oh, my all gosh. For it. Would I'm all for it. So old ladies would love it, man. It's so old ladies are so funny. I mean, in a good way. Right. I just, old ladies my mother, are just us in a few years, <laughs> just me in a few years. Like they're just as like smart and engaged and like open. I mean, there's, it is such an untapped market. It's ridiculous. It, yeah. And they buy books and they read. Yeah. So <laughs> it's all I'm, good. I'm all about it. Yeah. Okay. I can't wait to read it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have a great day, guys. Thanks. You too. <laughs> okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 